You are listening to the Contemplative Motherhood Podcast. My name is Chelsea. I'm a teacher, practitioner, spiritual director, and pilgrim. And I'm Erin, a creative, homeschool educator, counselor, and spiritual seeker. Listen in as we dive deeper into the contemplative lifestyle through hearing about each of our lives. You'll hear our triumphs, failures, practices, and mistakes as we journey together. You might even hear a kid or two in the background. So grab some coffee, tea, curl up, and take off your shoes. You are welcome here. Now let's get started. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Contemplative Motherhood Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Erin Thomas, and again, I'm here with my sweet friend, Chelsea. Hi, friend. Hi, Erin. So How I'm are really, you? I'm, well, I'm so glad you asked. I'm <laughs> feeling much better than last episode. And in fact, I feel very ordinary, which may or may not be leading us straight into our topic. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We are going to talk about being ordinary today. No, we have a really amazing treat for us. And Chelsea, again, has done some awesome legwork on this. And I'm excited to dive in today. Um, And we're really excited and thankful that you guys have joined us on this podcast where literally everyone and their mother has a podcast these days. So (laughs) thanks for being on this one. Um, If you have been with us the last couple of episodes, you know that we've been talking about stories of contemplative amas, a beautiful poetic way of saying, I don't know, contemplative women, mothers in a metaphorical or literal sense. Um, You might want to reference episode one. That's not a plug. (laughs) But when selecting our itinerary for the season, per se, we had a lot of material to choose from. But our primary goal in setting the stage here for their stories is to allow their voices to be heard and their stories to be told. And for us to glean what we can in whatever way we feel led to learn from them. And so with that intention, my friend, what Amma are we going to talk about today? So we are going to talk about Ama Aya Kimma, and she is more of a contemporary in our days, having lived and died in the 20th century. And to me, she represents the most practical of Amas that we'll profile. Her life, while extraordinary like others, was still to her very ordinary And she reasons that her life was so extraordinarily ordinary, and that will be kind of a key takeaway for us today. So if you look back at our uh, prior episode on Amma Mariam, you'll note there's going to be some contrast here. So Amma Aya is not a prophet like Mariam. She did not boldly lead others, sing, dance, or praise. Her feet were not her prayer. She was just an ordinary person who really grabbed the reins of her spirituality and never looked back. And we're really just going to touch the surface of her autobiography that she published before she died called I Give You My Life. And what we will put into context is the world situation she grew up in that shaped her later writings and her spiritual journey. So this is such a brief introduction to what we could give her. Um, 
Chels, thanks so much. And we say that we like to call her either the practical, practical contemplative or maybe she's the ordinary contemplative. <laughs> so you take what you glean from this episode. Um, but this woman, this beautifully practical woman we're sharing about is both remarkably different from some of our everyday lives in the sense that she had a really heavy history and a really adverse child experience. Um, And much like us, her early life was very obviously influenced by that story. And that influenced her in the future. And so you've done a great job of saying that we're going to put that into context. Um, But I wanted to highlight that, you know, I think a lot of us really need to hear that she had significant trauma in her lifetime. And this really places a perspective on how she lived her life in the future, how she moved forward in her spiritual journey. And frankly, if you read about her, her trauma lens can be really heavy. Um, So, Chels, can you share a bit more about her early beginnings for us? Yeah. So, Aya Kimma was born in 1923 in Germany to Jewish parents. And her name growing up was Ilsa Kuzil. And her family fled right before the Nazis took over and went and lived in Shanghai. And during World War II, Japan invaded Shanghai and her family was sent to a ghetto, which is where her father perished in the ghetto just five days before the end of the war. So after that time, and in order really to survive, she married and had a daughter. And then while living in Shanghai, their life became in danger once again, and she had to flee China and made it to San Francisco. She then had another child, a boy. She ended up getting divorced during this time and sometime later met her second husband. Okay, so I want to stop you there for a minute, and I know this seems kind of abrupt, but I, I want to point out that this is really significant, and I resonated with this as I read Chelsea's notes on this. If you've listened in any of our prior episodes, and especially last season, you may have heard Chelsea and I note that our search for a contemplative life began after major life events. Um, and so in the first season, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those self-titled episodes and The reason, again, why I say this is because, like, frankly, we don't want to underscore that a lot of us find ourselves spiritually seeking after trauma or major life events or tragedy. And this is both an important highlight and also extremely factual in the sense that Amaya experienced significant suffering. And as we've touched on in the past, we all have suffering that changes our stories. And they can do a lot of things for us, right? They can do and change our spiritual journeys and how we seek. And for Amaya, this was true as well. Um, Frank, can you tell us a bit more about where she went from there? Yeah. So after that trauma and tragedy of just her early beginnings in life, she spent years exploring her spiritual path. And that really led her to all over the world. And she talks about in her autobiography, it's a little bit of hindsight, but she was picking up these nuggets throughout her life that shaped her spiritual journey that, you know, when she found herself um, 
following the Buddhist path and she became a Buddhist nun, that that's really where she, after looking back on her life, thought, oh man, I've really picked up these principles throughout my lifetime. So, you know, when she became a Buddhist nun is really when she started to write and that kind of earns the title of Amma, the spiritual mother. And she's an Amma, especially to us as mothers and caretakers. And we're going to learn how motherhood shaped her life. So her name, Aya, means venerable. And it's just a common name you'll find among nuns. And what's funny about her and why she's so practical and just ordinary is she jokingly took the name Kima because it was only two syllables. And it was not hard to pronounce. Okay, so she's she comes from the Western world. And so reading Sanskrit and trying to, you know, do these new vowel sounds and everything, you know, to her, Kimma was like, oh, this is the easiest name. That makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until later in her life, if, if, if you um, know what Kimma means, Kimma is actually one of the first women disciples of the Buddha. And she was an, a very important historical figure in the life of Buddhism. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Well, that's really funny. And that's kind of a very spiritually significant, but also just very practical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is why I think she's fascinating in more reasons than one. But Mm -hmm. um, I know we have a lot to talk about with her. And Chelsea's done a really amazing job of fleshing this out. And so I'll tell you, I'm I'm excited to learn more about Amaya. And but I wanted to know that for those of us who are Westerners, I think you – and you touch on this, and Chelsea, like this may be some of our first exposure to the Eastern spiritual path unless you are uh, teachers or infinite students like Chelsea and myself who nerd out with stuff like this. <laughs> um, you perhaps – or you found yourself in a community where the Eastern spiritual path is discussed and and have looked through this with an academic lens. So. There, a lot of this, this may be our first exposure, and there may be some challenges with how to sort of process this information, um, prof- just because it's profound <laughs> primarily, but mm-hmm. also because we are looking at it from our Western lens. And yes. mm-hmm. as we dive a bit more into meditation in the future, sorting out these sorts of thought processes are really important. And so I want to say, and as a blanket statement for us, and and I hope that you will join us in this space that maybe some of us have been hesitant in the past to a lot space for something that a spiritual path that may be different, right? Because for a lot of Westerners, we've been taught and have learned the narrative that different is scary or different is bad. And so I don't want us to ruminate on that, but in a true mindful passion, I just feel like we should put away all the preconceived thoughts and ideas that we have and share this story as it is told. And even though she is a much more of, I guess, what we would consider a modern-day woman, um, having passed only in the late 90s, there is a timeless practical nature to her that is extremely present. And so, Charles, can you tell us a bit more about Amaya's spiritual work and how you connected with her as a contemplative? Yes. And Erin, I think that's a great point that you just said about, you know, understanding 
the differences and how you might take this message in and giving yourself space in order to notice that within you. I think that will be so helpful as we talk about kind of the key things that she teaches later on. So um, I wrote many books and she has this beautiful ability to break down the Eastern spiritual path for us as Westerners, because it really is when you get into uh, more Eastern religion or Eastern spiritual paths, it is a very different thought. And for me, it's fascinating. Uh, to others, it might not be. But it's really about just kind of almost flipping yourself upside down and thinking in a whole new different way. So her writings really are simple and poignant. And we're going to mainly talk about her most popular book called Being Nobody, Going Nowhere. And relate it to her life stories found in her autobiography. So I had the pleasure of first coming across Ama Aya when I took a Buddhist Christian dialogue class for my master's degree. And that was probably 12 years ago. And I instantly fell in love with her writings. And just another note, I don't remember any books that I read 12 years ago, (laughs) but I remember hers. And that says something. This is so funny because when we were going to record this episode, I actually, and I had Chelsea's notes on this, and I was like, no, I have to read this. I can't possibly do this episode without reading this. So we want to kind of note that there's obviously something that is really fascinating about her writings. And you do a great job of explaining this. So I devoured this book (laughs) in 24 hours, um, primarily knowing that I come from a Christian tradition and this was a Buddhist tradition, faith tradition, but yet I found so much practical nature from it that it was amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Here I am in my informed stance here, friends. And so tell us more about our book. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So what greater way to talk about her book than talking about her first sentence? Okay. Right. Here's her first sentence. This is a simple book for ordinary people who want to find greater happiness and contentment in their lives by following a spiritual path. I mean. Simple. Yeah. Right there. (laughs) There it is. Yeah. She sets her intention. Man. <laughs> she is which she's so good at. You know, she yeah. doesn't use more words than are necessary. You know, she has to be a publisher's dream, I don't know, or an editor's dream. That's she, not my special. She needs to be my editor, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, for us as contemplatives, essential. Intentions, setting the intentions. So moving on. I think, you know, it's important to note, and we already said this. The book is going to talk about the Buddhist path that she follows, but really she sets it up in a way it's less specific, less about a specific path than it's really about her own path as spiritual seekers. And I glean so much from this book that helps me in my own faith tradition and practices. You take what she's saying and you work it into your world. And it helps me to dive deeper into my longings with Adonai. And I know for others of different faith beliefs, it'll do the same. Yeah. So here's her, I don't know if it's her second or her third sentence, but still in the same paragraph. She goes on to say, 
both heart and mind have to be involved in this journey toward liberation from the self. The mind understands and concludes, connects and discerns, whereas the heart feels. Hmm. So I say we dive in. I think so. (laughs) So, Erin, I've just touched the surface about Amaaya. Just pluck some things. Yeah. What are you looking forward to learning as we keep um, just uh, unfolding her spiritual path? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think there's so much beauty here. And that's really important to note. And I think the wonderful thing about opening up an interfaith conversation, even in this smaller scale, is that by doing so, we are not placing limitations in our own path. And I know for myself, I can speak from my own personal experience, it's very easy to place limitations on our spiritual paths um, or even what we consider within our capacity, right? And we are, as people, rightfully so, influenced by our culture, our practice, our faith tradition. And right off the bat, I know that for Westerners, this can be scary. And I don't want to diminish that. I think that's, you know, we know one of those things that we note. Um, but for me, when I stepped outside of my own comfort zone and sought to connect with the divine through learning about other women who have been spiritual seekers, even outside of my own faith tradition, there is most often, well, always for me, a drive home and a heart connection. Um, And so the question I want to ask myself, and I think this is sort of where we're setting our intentions and and what do we want to learn from her, is I want to know more about how I can be present in my life, how I can be present in my own path, in motherhood, and how does this connect me further to the divine as a result? What can her story teach me? And I really, 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 listeners, I want to encourage you to do the same. Growth is stretching, but growth is beautiful. And Amaaya is probably the most practical intro that we can get to growth. (laughs) (laughs) So would you tell us more about her, my friend? Yeah. And if we were going to do justice to Amaaya, we would need weeks on end to explore all the insights and freedoms she could teach us. Highly recommend doing a book study if you really wanted to. But here, of course, we don't have that kind of time. So hopefully what we highlight today will just kind of give you that glimpse of wonderings that you can take even further into your own life. So we're going to break it down into a few ways she teaches us to be present and use the examples from our own life to help us break free and live a life in our beautiful chaos. (laughs) So point number one, being present. She tells a funny story about how our minds are always fixed on either the past or the future. If you're young, it's the future because you have more of it. And when you're older, it's the past because you have more of that. But the most important time we always say is the present. You know, simple, right? Life doesn't happen in the past. That's our memory. 
and life doesn't happen in the future. That's us planning. So why do we spend so much of our lives living in these two places instead of the moment we are in? I beg the question, is it self-preparation or self-preservation, perhaps? And it's funny because I can't tell if you mean this, right? Like, <laughs> theoretically, rhetor- is this a rhetorical question? But and it's super interesting because I had this funny conversation with my husband this week. And basically, we were talking about, like, am I middle age? Am I not middle age? <laughs> And so I can say who a person who doesn't like to really admit my age, I have in fact noticed that this happens. At some point in our life trajectory, this process can be exhausting, right? Because we're either doing one of the two things. So obviously that's a good lead off for, for her being present lesson. And there's such a piece in this. Um, Amaya discusses a really specific practice, and so many of us have heard about this practice, and this isn't limited to one faith tradition. And to be honest, it appears, well, I mean, at least it appears to me, that she's had a really great influence on many faith traditions through her intentional practice of being present. And by that, I mean meditation. Okay, so we hear this word a lot, right? And we hear the word either that or mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I feel like these have sort of come, become popular culture terms, hashtags per se, if you're a social <laughs> content creator. <laughs> so just um, let, let, let's disregard that um, in, in some senses and let's talk about meditation and how Amaya really leads us into this practice. Yeah. And I think saying meditation and mindfulness, even if they're hashtags, even if they're popular, like I think that's so great. Because <laughs> it is. if you can have a conversation with people and they kind of know what you're talking about. Um, but also, it's a great practice. And for people to use those terms, they don't become as I don't know, maybe scary as they were before or confusing. They're just, I mean, can you imagine if we had meditation and mindfulness is just like, that's just the world we live in. Everyone does it. Oh, I know. I, mean, I, know. I, love it. I, would, I would benefit greatly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and why Ama Aya is so practical is when she talks about being present, she tells kind of these funny stories. She goes right into meditation and talks about the practice of meditation because to her, it helps us learn to be more present. You know, she talks about how we take care of our bodies. We wash our bodies. We clean them. We give them rest in order to function. We got to feed it. We got to give it water when it's needed. True. You know, we would be useless without taking care of our bodies. But we so neglect taking care of our minds. I mean, our minds need the same kind of care and the same kind of attention to them. You know, we need to, um, metaphorically, obviously, wash it, clean it, give it rest, give it the nutrients it needs in order to function and survive. If we don't make intentional time for our minds, we won't learn to live in the present moment. Yeah, that's huge. You know, I want to stop you there because that that's, that's just something that I want to highlight. <laughs> Can yeah. you say that again, my friend? 
If we don't make intentional time for our minds, we won't learn to live in the present moment. Yes. And so one of the things that, you know, we talk about this, again, maybe perhaps being mindful and meditation being more common in our vocabulary will reduce our fears of this um, concept because it can feel like a mountain to climb a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? If we've Mm -hmm. never really died dove into any of what meditation is. But Ama Aya, she was like the mama of meditation. Um, (laughs) That's what I feel like. Um, But much of the work she shared was specifically focused on meditation. But in her characteristic fashion, a very practical way of meditation initially. Um, And so, Charles, I know you do such a great job of this. Will you break this down a bit for us? Like, is there such thing as minimalist meditation? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, just like how many of us can resound with the fact that like I need just the minimalist version? So what does this look like? Yeah, Erin. So thank you for that question. You know, I think this is a great place for us to almost pause right here and take a break on this episode. And maybe as a way to hold this for, you know, another episode as we wrap ourselves around meditation and how to implement it in our own ways. We then will jump right where we left off in our next episode to give Amaaya more depth and learn other key ways she has for us to explore in our own lives. So stay with us as we will conclude Amaaya's story and glean so much more from her in our next episode. So we will see you Thank then. you again Thanks. for joining us today on the Contemplative Motherhood Podcast with us, your host, Erin Thomas and Chelsea Whipple. To get regular updates on our podcast, hear new episode drops, interact with us, and find our show notes, go to our website, www.contemplativemotherhood.org. There you can also sign up for our newsletter. As always, we appreciate your support of this podcast and in helping us share our journey with others. We invite you to regularly check our blog. Our after-show blog posts will allow you to dive deeper on the content shared on an episode. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. This helps us to cross paths with other Pogo Mamas across the board. Until next time.